Now please welcome JT with this week's message. Thank you guys. How are you guys doing this morning? Do you survive the, the great blizzard of 2017? Hey, so we are going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, typically, what we would do for our sermons is we would pick out, you know, a book of the Bible and we would just work our way through it, or we'd pick a, a topic and we'd look at the topic in a, in a, in a biblical way. Um, but today, we're not going to have our typical sermon. Um, I'm going to do a dance, so no, we, we're going to actually do something, we're going to do a year in review. We're going to look at the, the past year and the different themes that we've talked about and, and kind of take a bird's eye view of what our church has been studying. And, and basically what I mean is we're going to look at the big picture of this past year. We're not going to dive super deep into anything um, in particular today. So one of the reasons that we're going to do this is because we feel like um, some of us might need a refresher. You may have been, you know, here every week, and you may have heard every sermon that we did, but maybe something kind of, uh, you know, left the forefront of your mind, and, and when, when, when you hear it today, you're like, oh yeah, that was really good. God really spoke to me through that, and I, I need to be reminded of it. And for others of us, you might be new here, um, this may be your first week, and, and this could give you a good picture or a good, uh, you know, big picture of what our church is all about. Like what we've been, been talking about in this past year. So the Bible tells us that, that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, that what we do here on the weekends is really important. Do you know that? That, you know, there's, there's a movement in, in a lot of Western Christianity that doesn't really value uh, coming to church. We feel like we can, we can do this on our own, but Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to not forsake the gathering of the believers. And, and, and in fact, it says that as some people start forsaking it, you do it all the more. This is important what we do. Us getting together and worshiping as a family is important. Looking at the Bible together, praying for one another, it is important. It's really important. One of the reasons that we believe it's important is because God tells us to, uh, but also we just believe that this is a context in which growth happens. What I mean by that is it's not the only context, but we believe that it's, it's when we gather together with people who think differently and, 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 and act differently and maybe, maybe kind of rub us the wrong way that, that those things help us to grow. And it's the, in the context of community and studying the word together that God speaks to his people. Not always, but that's one of the primary contexts where God speaks is in, in the gathering of his people. This matters. These, these weekend services, us gathering together as a church, it matters. And, and so as a pastor who's you know, part of the team that, that decides what are, the, what are the topics that we're going to talk about on the weekends, I, I just want to say a lot of thought and prayer and consideration goes into that decision-making process. Like before I became a pastor, even growing up with, as a pastor's kid, I didn't know 
that that much thought and prayer goes into it. I thought maybe you just open the Bible and say, sure, that sounds good. Let's talk about that one. But no, we, we, we pray about it. We, we, we sometimes debate and we, we say, God, what are you doing in this church? God, what do you want to do in this church? What are the things that you want to speak into the people of VCDC and how can we get behind what you're doing? Because like I was saying, I think that in this context of the gathering of, of the believers, it's a place that if we're really open to God speaking, we can really grow and really become the people that God has made us to be and become the church that God wants us to be. So we're going we're gonna to do this overview, but before we jump in, I want to do something. I want to take a, a moment and, and have us all take a little bit uh, just a short inventory of our lives, a little inventory of our spiritual life, of, of what's been going on in our hearts. So, so what I want to do is I want everyone to kind of dial down. You can close your eyes if it helps. You don't have to, but I will be grading. No, you, you just, if, if we all can just dial down and think back to January 2017. One year ago, who were you one year ago? What were you passionate about? What were you dreaming about? What were you hoping for? What were you struggling with? What were some of your struggles? What were some areas that you needed to grow? Some growth areas in your life. What were, what were some areas that you were strong in? What, was, what were the things that were going on? Spiritually, how was, your, how was your walk with Jesus? How was your relationship with him? So without raising your hands, just answer, I'm going to ask you some questions and just kind of answer these questions in your mind. So without raising your hands, how many people feel like, man, over this past year, I have grown a lot? I've grown a lot this past year. It's great. It's really good. How many people feel like, man, I have taken a few steps back? You know, a year ago, I was doing pretty well, and I've kind of lost my way a little bit. It's okay. I'm not asking these questions so you feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. We're just taking inventory. Okay, how many people here would say, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar place that I was in a, year, a year ago. You know, spiritually, I'm kind of in the same spot. And, you know, my hunch is that a lot of us would say yes to that question. I would say more or less, I'm kind of the same as I was a year ago. Maybe I've gone through some different things, but... You know, spiritually, I'm kind of in the same place. And that's okay. This is not a guilt trip. It's not a guilt trip, but I do, I, I want to issue a challenge for all of us, myself included. See, God is calling us to be disciples. God is calling us to be disciples. That is, that is radically different than what the Western church is calling us to be. We are not called to be church attenders. We're not called to just uh, 
you know, be information gatherers. We're called to be disciples, and a disciple is one who is constantly growing. Basically, the, the, the word disciple means someone who's trying to be more like Jesus. Growing to be more like Jesus. And, 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 and I think where we've got it wrong is in a lot of Western Christianity, it's basically based off of information. To be a Christian, it's like you need to learn more about God. You need to learn more about the Bible. You need to take this class. You need to read this new book. You need to hear this teaching. And you need to learn more. Gather more information. But let me, let me tell you what the, the Apostle James says in chapter 1, verse 22 of his book, James. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. James is essentially saying that it's not enough to just learn. Learning is good. Learning is great, but don't just, don't just learn for the sake of learning. We learn so that we can put it into practice. We learn so that we can apply it to our lives. So it's important that we do this, that we take inventory, and we look at our year, and we think, have I been growing? Have I been progressively doing the things that I've been learning about? Or have I just kind of been stagnating? Or maybe drifting away. So the good news is this. No matter how you've answered this question, whether you've grown tremendously or you've fallen back a little bit or you stagnated, God's mercies are new every morning. That today is a chance for us to, to either begin that path of growth and, and discipleship and maturity or to continue on with it or to, to reestablish it, but his mercies are fresh and new for you today. So no matter what, no matter how we answer that question, we are all pretty much in the same boat. We are still facing the same decision today, whether we want to take that next step towards Jesus, right? So we're going to jump into this this. Uh, uh, this, this talk about the, the year in review, but before we do, let me pray. Lord, uh, I just invite you here. I just ask that you speak to us. Lord, I, I just pray that you will illuminate the information, the, the, the call, the words, the whatever it is, the, 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 the thing in our hearts that you want us to notice. You would just take your you know, like a highlighter and highlight certain words that would resonate in people's hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So in 2017, that was a, it was a strange year. We had 52 weeks. Um, that's a joke. We always have 52 weeks. Um, but we had seven sermon series uh, throughout the year, and we had a few standalone messages, like a Easter message or a message on baptism, or or different things like that, or a guest speaker. But we had seven series that we went through, and so, like I said, we're going to take an overview on those series. But I want to encourage you: if something catches your mind or catches your ear, and you think, "Oh, that sounded like a good one. I may, I must have missed that one." Or, or maybe you thought, oh, that was a great one. I want to be reminded of those things, or I want to dive deeper into those things. You can always go back and listen to any of the messages 
that we, we've given. You can go to our website. It's vineyardcdc.org, and you can go to the sermon and resources tab, and we have pretty much every sermon that we've ever done in this whole church is there. You can also search iTunes for Vineyard Church, Delaware County, or you can be really old school and get an actual CD of it. Um, you go to the, the info counter, and there's little slips, and you just write down what series or what sermon you're looking for, and we'll give you a free copy, no charge, of, of that, that sermon. So our first series that we studied um, in the, the year of 2017 was all the way back in January, and it was a series called The Gospel of Wholeness. So who remembers this one, Gospel of Wholeness? All right, well, that's good. That's a good number. I think this was a really important series. This was really important. So if you remember the Gospel of Wholeness, this is, it's a really practical message about how we grow in the Lord. It's how we grow in the Lord. How we become more like the people that God is calling us to be. You know, for many of us, we feel comfortable with the idea of salvation for the most part. Like we understand how we get saved, but where it gets a little foggy, sometimes we don't understand how we become sanctified. Sanctified is a fancy churchy word that means becoming more like Jesus. We understand how we become saved, but we, you know, how we walk it out and become more like the person God is calling us to be is, is confusing. You know, let me put it this way. You know, if someone came to you, like a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, and they came to you and said, hey, I want to become a Christian. I want to be a Christian. Most of us would feel comfortable in helping them become a Christian. We could lead them through a prayer, or we could, we could do something that we could help them to become a Christian. But let's say that same person came to you, you know, a few months later, and they said something like, you know, I'm a Christian now, and and I, and I like it, I enjoy Jesus, but I am, I am really struggling with anger. I'm really struggling with lust or, or with greed or jealousy or this particular addiction. That's oftentimes where we would freeze up, right? That's oftentimes where we would kind of struggle and, 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 and we would say, I don't, maybe there's probably a book out there that might help you. Or, you know, maybe you should talk to a pastor. But maybe it's not just with, maybe it's in our own lives. Maybe we, we, are, we're, we, we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, but there are just things in our life that we just struggle with. And we don't know how to get past them. We don't know how to, how to get past these issues that we're dealing with. We have a decent idea of the, the theology of salvation, but sanctification and becoming more like Jesus, that's where it gets fuzzy. And so the gospel of wholeness, I can, it's kind of boiled down to this. It's this idea that as followers of Jesus, we are able to make supernatural exchanges. We're able to make supernatural exchanges. We get to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, here... You know, here's my addiction. Give me strength. Or Jesus, here's my anger. Give me, you know, your patience. Or Jesus, here's my sin. Give me, you know, forgiveness. Whatever it is. 
That we are able to take these things and, and, and go to God and say, I don't, I don't want them anymore. You take them. But we don't leave empty-handed. We don't just, just go and give them to God. We actually get to receive something in return from him. That he gives us these good gifts, these, these things that help us grow. You remember the, the story that we used. And my dad talked about that when he was a, he was a boy, he used to go and, and, you know, multiple times a year, he would see his grandfather at the train station. And as he would meet his grandfather, his grandfather would always say the same thing. He would say, hey, I'll trade you what's in your pocket for what's in my pocket. So my dad would reach into his pocket and see what he's got. Sometimes it would be a, you know, an old candy wrapper or, or a, you know, a piece of lint or a button or something. Uh, and, 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 you know, my great-grandfather would, you know, reach out and pull out some money or, a, you know, a candy bar, and they would trade. And essentially, my dad would, would be saying, hey, I have this thing that I don't want. I don't want this. And his grandfather would say, well, take this in, in, instead. And they would make this exchange, and we get to do the same thing with God. We get to go to Jesus and say, I don't want this. Can... You know, can you take it and give me back what you have for me? He has good gifts for us. And so the reason that we decided we wanted to do the gospel of wholeness, the reason that we thought it was important for us to do the gospel of wholeness is because we want to be a church of people who are comfortable making these exchanges with God. We want to be a church full of people who aren't just holding on to their baggage. That we can be people that say, I am comfortable giving my junk to God and receiving his good gifts. And that you could be a person who could walk through life with the freedom of knowing, I don't have to carry this anymore. And God has good things for me. So maybe for you, that's an area that you've grown. Or maybe it's an area that you need to grow. The gospel, in a, in a sentence, it's how we become more like Jesus by making these supernatural exchanges. This is a part of the normal Christian life. We feel like this is a part of discipleship. Just being, being a follower of Jesus is making these exchanges, and it's, it's life-changing. And we want to be a church full of people who are making exchanges with Jesus. All right, next series this was a fun one. This was a series called The Kings. Who remembers the Kings series? All right. This was the longest series that we did. This one, you know, went over, I think, over three months long. And this was really fun. It was a series that we looked at the different kings of Israel and Judah during the Old Testament. Looked at guys like, uh, like Josiah or Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah. Any of these names ringing a bell, hopefully? Uh, these were basically what we did is these case studies on these different kings. We looked at their lives, and we thought, what can we learn from these kings' lives? And if you remember, some of these kings were great kings. Some of them were really wonderful kings. Some of them were very evil, bad kings. Some of them were really evil. There was a lot of them that started off pretty good. That started off as a good king, but slowly became evil kings. And if you remember, most of these case studies, most of these stories about these kings, they all started the same way, pretty much. There's a few that didn't. 
But they pretty much all started by saying this summary, saying, this king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or it would say something like, this king did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And, and what really stood out to me, what really kind of grabbed my attention, and I thought, if, if I could boil down that whole series into, into kind of one sentence or one thought, it was the idea of who is really in control? Who is really in control? Who is really on the throne? Like for these kings, you, they, they may have been sitting on this earthly throne, but who was really on the throne of their lives? Who was really in charge? The great kings were able to say, you know, I might be sitting on this throne, but the real throne is reserved for God. He's really in control. They were able to say, I'm going to lay down my life, my will for yours. I'm not going to put my trust, my hope, my faith in my military or in my intellect or in my money or riches. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you, God, and what you say goes. No matter what, no matter how counterintuitive or countercultural or, or whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you and what you say. And for me, this was challenging. This is a challenging thing, right? Who is sitting on the throne of my life? You know, ultimately, I, I, I would say Jesus is on the throne, but when you really look at our lives, is that always true? Like, what is the thing that really drives us? What are the things that really motivate us, that get us out of bed in the morning, that help us to make decisions, that you know, make us go forward? Is it our career? Is that what really motivates you? Is it getting more money in your bank account? Is it success? Is it, maybe it's family. Maybe it's my family is the most important thing, and, and God is important, but he takes a second, he takes a back seat to, to my, my kids. Who's really on the throne? Me or God? Money or God? Success or God? My dreams or God? And the same question, it's for you as well. Who is on the throne of your life? And really, the reason that we think this is important is because we don't want to be a church full of people that on the throne is ourselves. We want to be a church that says, God, you are in control, not only of our lives personally, but you are on the throne of this church. We don't make decisions based off of culture. We don't make decisions based off of, you know, what, you know, other, other churches might think. We make decisions based off of what God says, what his scripture says, who he tells us to be. So we thought this was important because that's who we want to be as a church, is a church where God is on the throne, and we wanted to be individuals that we would say, God, you are on the throne. Is he control of your life? Is he on the throne of your life? All right, moving on. And again, I know this is, these are bird's eye views, so if, if any of these sound interesting, go back and listen. Go back and listen. So the next series we went through was a fun one. This was a series called Life with the Spirit. Life with the Spirit. This was a, a study on the Holy Spirit. 
We talked about the Holy Spirit and who he is and, and what he does in our lives. And you remember this one? We actually took, a, 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 we did a study and we took a, a, a poll. We had people fill out those little, uh, little cards about a month beforehand. You remember those cards? And we asked a bunch of questions about your experience with the Holy Spirit and your, your thoughts and understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we actually, we found out a lot of really interesting stuff that was really helpful. Um, but one of the things that we learned was that we have a lot of different thoughts about who the Holy Spirit is. And depending on your background, that informed a lot about what you, who you believe the Holy Spirit is and what he does. You know, for some of us, we don't have a lot of church background, and that's okay. And so you might be new to the Christian, Christian walk, and, and so when you hear the Holy Spirit, you might be like, I don't really know much about him. And I don't really know what he does, and I, I hope he's a nice guy, but I don't know much. And for others of us, maybe we have a lot of church background, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing, um, depending on the church background. Uh, but some of us came from a really conservative, uh, traditional church, and when we hear the Holy Spirit or when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think the Holy Spirit, he was the, he was the one who was involved in Scripture and, and getting Scripture together and some of those miracles that we see, um, and he helps convict us of sin. But other than that, today, I, I don't really know much of what he does, or I don't think he does a whole lot. And then, and then there are some of us who come from a real charismatic or Pentecostal background, and we think, Holy Spirit, oh yeah, that's my guy. He's the one who, who is you know, healing people and speaking in tongues and, and doing miracles and the prophetic and all those cool things. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the truth is, is both of those things are kind of true. And they're also both kind of just partially untrue. They're, they're just a, a bit of the picture of who the Holy Spirit is. And, and so what we decided to do was not take a look at the Holy Spirit based off of, you know, our understanding or our tradition or our backgrounds, but we wanted to look at the Holy Spirit based off of Scripture. What does the Bible say about him? Who does the Bible say the Holy Spirit is? So if we look at the Bible... We look through scripture, we'll see a lot about the Holy Spirit. And what we did is we narrowed all of these things about the Holy Spirit down to these uh, a few different categories to what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And we would say really quickly, the Holy Spirit comes to guide us. One of the roles that the Holy Spirit has is, is to help us navigate through life, help us to figure out, you know, what, what do we do in this hard decision? He guides us. He walks us through life. Number two, he helps, he helps us grow. He helps us learn and, and to become more like Jesus. Number three, he convicts us. This is the one that we love talking about, right? Now he convicts us. And let me just say, conviction is really misunderstood. Conviction is a really good thing. Conviction is a great thing. It's, 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 it's essentially God coming to us and saying, hey, this is not what I made you for. This is not what I made you for. Almost like saying, you're using a screwdriver to try to hammer in that nail. There's a better way. That's what conviction is. 
The Holy Spirit is here to comfort us. This is a good one. This comes from the, probably my favorite name for the Holy Spirit we see in Scripture. It's this name called Paraclete or Paracletus. And it, it really means uh, it's a comforter. It's the comforter. Holy Spirit comforts us. And, 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 and when we're feeling down or we're feeling discouraged, or when we're believing lies from the enemy, the Holy Spirit comes and he, he speaks truth to us comforts us and says, that's not who you are. Don't believe those lies. You are my son. You are my daughter. He comforts us. Five, he empowers us. This is the exciting one. He, he gives us these, you know, these gifts of, of, of some of them are, are feel relatively natural, like wisdom or courage or or, you know, knowledge, or stuff like that, but he's also supernatural gifts where we can speak prophetic things over people, and, and we can, you know, through, through the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can heal, and we can, we can, you know, see visions, and all of these cool things. He empowers us to do the things that he has called us to do. So the Holy Spirit guides, he teaches, he convicts, he comforts, and he empowers. But ultimately, what really stands out to me as we, as we study the, the Holy Spirit is, is when Jesus, you know, when Jesus left, when he ascended into heaven, he, he said, you know, I'm going to send my spirit to you guys so you won't be alone. So you won't be alone. That's what stands out, is we aren't, we aren't supposed to do this Christian life alone. We're not just expected to just, just figure it out and to just make it happen and to just use our own strength and our own grit and just get through life. We have the Holy Spirit. So the reason that we did this series, the reason that we thought as a church it was important to do this series is because we want to be a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is led by the Holy Spirit. That when we meet together, we don't want to just have a service where we're given good ideas and, and you know, just when we pray for each other, we're just kind of giving each other good knowledge and counsel. But we want to be a church where the Holy Spirit is active. And, and, and moving among us, empowering us. And we want to be individuals. We want you to be individuals. We want me to be an individual where we are listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying him when he speaks to us. So the question for us is, are we letting him? Are we letting him lead us? Are we listening to him? Are we being led by the Holy Spirit? Or are we sitting back in our comfort zones where we feel comfortable. This is the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is not a life where we are led by good doctrine. Good doctrine's great, but we are called to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we have things like good doctrine and, and teaching and those things to, to help with, with you know, guideposts, but we are called to be led by the Spirit. That's the normal Christian life. Okay, so the next series that we did was over the book of Galatians. Galatians uh, is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. 
Um, it's really simple, it's real short, but it is extremely profound. It's extremely profound. And remember, Galatians uh, was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Um, and, and remember, Galatians was essentially about, it was this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Galatia. It was a, it was a young church that had a, a mix of, of Jews and Gentiles. And it, it was, a, you know, for, for the most part, a pretty healthy church. But they began to have this conflict about the gospel within the church. And this is actually really common to a lot of the early churches. And, and honestly, I think it's pretty common to a lot of our churches today. See, the gospel message is the good news of Jesus. That Jesus is on his throne. That he is king and he is establishing his kingdom here on earth. And because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, we can be united with God. We can have relationship with God. That Jesus paid a price that we couldn't pay. And, and it's the grace of God that allows us to be in a relationship with God. And remember that this church, you know, they believe that. They believe that, that it was the grace of God that, 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 that united us with him. But there was these people who came in called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, they believed in Jesus they really liked Jesus, and, and they would say things like, yes, we love Jesus, we love his teachings, and we, we, we love grace, but that's not all you have to do to be in right relationship with God. It's not just grace. You also have to follow the rules. You also have to obey these, the, the law, the, 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 the Ten Commandments and these laws. That's what, that's what gets you in right relationship with God. That we're saved by grace, but we're also saved by what we do. And, and Paul says, no. Not only is that incorrect, but it's actually the opposite of what I've been teaching. And that's the opposite of what's true. It's the opposite of the gospel. He actually uses the word, it's the anti-gospel. It's not about obeying rules at all. At all. We are saved the church in Galatia was saved. You are saved not by what you did, not by what you can do. You are saved by the grace of God and nothing else. Not by going to church, not by voting a certain way, not by believing a certain amount of things, not by avoiding certain sins, not by being really good, you are saved by the grace of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Galatians says that very clearly. And it's, I mean, all through the Bible, that's what it says really clearly. And the implications in Galatians, they take it even further. And, and, and I really encourage you to go back, read Galatians, listen to the series, because it is so impactful. And this is really foundational things that we believe, right? This is really foundational to who we are as Christians. But let me just say that I need to hear the gospel message like pretty much every day because I forget it. Maybe I don't forget it up here, but I forget it in here. I need to hear it every day because I realize that in my life, I am constantly trying to earn God's favor, 
I'm trying to earn his affection, his love, pretty much every day. By being good enough, by being smart enough, by being, you know, successful enough, by having enough, you know, whatever. Like when I do something really, really well, if I preach a good sermon or if I have a really good conversation, I maybe, you know, help someone out in their life and, or I help that old lady across the street or whatever I did, I feel God is so proud of me. He loves me. I did well. He's, he really likes me today. But then the next day when I fail, when I blow it, you know, when I lose my temper with my wife or whatever it is, and I, and I just, you know, do so, and I, I just fail. I think, well, I blew it now. God's really angry with me now. Maybe I don't think about this consciously, but this is, I feel, I, I feel like I have to earn God's approval. Or how am I supposed to go and, 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 and help out at church when, when I just blew it big time? God doesn't want to use me. The message of the gospel, the message we see in Galatians and all throughout Scripture is that we do not earn his love. We do not earn his approval. It is unearned. It is unmerited. It is free. It is free. And all we have to do is accept it. So are we living lives that we feel like we need to earn God's love? Or maybe, maybe it's not that you feel like you need to earn his love, but those people need to earn his love. God loves me, but those people need to get their act together. They need to stop doing that. They need to stop acting that way. They need to stop doing that sin. They need to get into church. That's what they need to do. It's not the gospel. So the reason that we felt like as a church this was important is because we want to be a gospel-centered church. We want the gospel to be, and, and it, we realize that if we don't talk about it a lot, we have a tendency to kind of start talking about other things. And maybe we'll lose sight of the gospel. So we want to be a church where we know the gospel we can communicate the gospel. We believe in the gospel. The gospel informs every area of our church. And that we would be individuals who that when we, when we go in our everyday life, that we can communicate to the, gospel, the gospel to the people around us. And we would let the gospel inform the way we treat others. We wouldn't put ourselves on a pedestal and say, those people are down here. But that we are all on equal footing in the gospel. That we, we believe the gospel is really, really important. So are you letting your life be transformed by the gospel daily? All right, got a couple more. The next series we, we did was a series called Joshua, a person of influence. You guys remember that, this one? I always felt like that Joshua, a person of influence, sounded like a, like a crime drama or something. Joshua, person of influence. Um, <laughs> in this series, we looked at the life of Joshua. Uh, we, we t we, and just really quickly, Joshua was one of the greatest leaders in all of the Bible. He came right after Moses, and he was probably, you know, along with maybe David, uh, one of the most successful leaders we see in all of the Bible. Just 
every way you want to measure success, Joshua, you know, did really well. And so he was one of the most influential people that we can see in the Bible. So we wanted to look at his life um, as a measure of influence and to see how we can be influential people. But more accurately, not how we can be influential people, but the, the truth is this, is that we all, all are, are influential people. You have influence whether you realize it or not. You know, whether it's with your kids, your family, your neighbors, your, you know, people at school, people at work, you have influence. So, so the better question is not how we can be people of influence, but it's to recognize that we are people of influence and asking what do we do with that influence? How do we have godly influence? How do we make the most of our influence? So we looked at the life of Joshua, and we, we, we looked at things like people of influence. Fundamentally, if we want to have godly biblical influence, what we are doing is we are helping people become the people that God made them to be. We are helping people become the, the person that God says, this is what I made you for. We looked at the ideas like uh, a person of influence is a person who knows how to rest and is comfortable with rest. We looked at things like, you know, a person of influence is a good follower, is someone who can follow God and follow the people who are in leadership around them, and that how a person of influence is, is someone who can fail, is kind of comfortable with falling on their face and facing adversity and getting up and, and going again. We looked at how Joshua, as a person of influence, was strong and courageous. We see that theme all throughout the book of Joshua, and, and the, the idea that his strength and his courage and our strength and our courage isn't something we muster up, but it's something that we get from God, that he is our strength, he is our courage. And again, this is a bird's eye view. We're not going to dive super deep. But I think it's, it's, it's good for us to ask ourselves, are we making the most of our influence? And is the influence that we're having on people, is it godly influence or is it not so great? You are a person of influence. And so the, 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 the reason that we thought this was important is because we want to be a church that's influencing people for the kingdom of God that we realize there are so many influences out there. And we look, we look around and there's lots of bad influences. There's lots of things that are trying to influence us. And we want to be a church that says, we recognize that we have influence and we are making the most of it. And that you, in your personal life, would, would, would make the most of your influence that you have. But even, even more than just individuals, we want to be a church that influences our culture for, for, for the better. That we would be a, a light on a hill. That we are called to be people of influence, and that's, that's who we want to be. All right, next series, Vineyard DNA. We had a lot of fun with this one. We got a lot of really positive feedback, and people really enjoyed this one. This was where we looked at our distinctives. We looked at what we value as a church, what makes us unique, what makes us different than every other church, and, and I really enjoyed this. And, and, and I'm going to go through 
all of our distinctives that we went through. And hopefully a few of them you'll remember, but if not, go back and listen, because uh, they're important. So we, we talked about how we as a church believe the kingdom is, is now, but it's not yet. We talked about we want the focus of our church to be the main and the plain. We talked about how we want to be naturally supernatural. About how we say prayers like, come Holy Spirit. We talked about how we are worshipers of God. We talked about how we want to be a church where everyone gets to play. Not just the people in leadership. Everyone gets to play. We talked about how we want to be a church where we would say, come as you are. Come as you are. But don't stay as you are. We encourage people to grow and to become more like Jesus. We want to be a church that remembers the poor. We don't just look out for our own needs. We want to be a church that plants churches. We believe that the the local church is the the engine in which Jesus wants to get his gospel message out is the local church. We want to plant churches in every community around the world. We believe that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. We are lousy spellers in the vineyard. No, we believe that, that our job as a church is to equip the saints. We want, we want us all to be equipped to do the works of the kingdom. Again, if this sounds like mumbo-jumbo, like if all of these things are like, I don't know what any of that means, go back and listen because this is important to the culture of our church. And the reason that they're important is because we do have a culture here. We, and we want to have a, a culture here that is healthy. We want to be more than just a place where where people come and check off a box that says they went to church. We want to be more than just a weekend service. We want to be more than just your Sunday morning entertainment or, or that thing that kind of makes you feel good for an hour and a half. We want to be a family. And just like, just like any family, we do things a certain way. You know, like just the, the holiday season, I, I think, is one of the most clear uh, examples of this. You know, most families, if you look through Christmas and New Year's, there are things that are their traditions, the things that they do a certain way. Sometimes it's, it's, it's negative things, sometimes it's positive things, but every family has some culture. Like one of my favorite things that my family does is for, for years now, we've gone to a truck stop to have breakfast on Christmas Eve. And we, we give all the, the, the youngest people, the, like my nephews and, and my daughter, we give them money to go around and bless people that they feel like God is wanting to bless. We give big tips to the, the waitresses. And I just, I love this. It's part of the culture that we are trying to establish in our family, that we're generous that we're loving. We don't just think about ourselves. This is, this is a culture that we are trying to set in our family. And the same is true in our church family. There is a culture. And we want to be a family. We feel like God is, is challenging us to be more of a family. And let me say this before I move on. I think this is one of the strengths of our church. 
Like we have a lot of strengths, I think. I think this is a pretty healthy church, but this is, I think, one of the healthiest things about our church. You know, we, we often, we get regular feedback. We ask new people to give us feedback, like, be really honest, be brutally honest, what do you think? And, they, and they'll be honest, but almost across the board, they say, it feels like a family. When I went in, it felt like a family when I went in there, and I felt invited in, felt warm. And I love that. But I don't think that we are done growing in that area. I think we can be better at it. I think we can be more vulnerable, more honest, more involved. I'm not interested in being in a church where we play church, where we play our our roles and we say our certain things and then we go on to our everyday life. But that we'd be authentic, that we would encourage each other, we would challenge each other, we would love each other, we would walk alongside each other. I know, like, in my family, we will have debates, we will challenge one another, but we love each other. And I want, I, I think that needs to be healthy um, in, in this church family. So are you invested here? Are you plugging in? Are you are you serving? Are you being authentic? Are you kind of on the edges? Because God wants us to be a family. And I know when churches start talking about this, if you, if you are new, this can feel weird. This can feel like, oh no, this sounds like a cult. You're talking about being a part of the family. Next he's going to say we all need to dress the same. No, that's not the truth. I think we need to be different. I love that we are a church where some of us Hey, some of us voted for this person. Some of us voted for this person. We don't vote the same. We don't think the same. We don't talk the same. We, we, we are different, but we're different together, and there's certain things that unite us. And so when we talk about those distinctives, we want those to be the things that unite us and to make us similar. We don't want things to make us similar like, have you gone to that church? They all wear khakis and and, you know, blue t-shirt. Like, we don't want to be that. We want to have the things that make us unique is that we would say things like, everybody gets to play in this church. Everybody. Or that you can come as you are. Those kind of things. So, I'm going to move on. Because we thought this was important because that's the kind of church we want to be. To have things like that unite us. So finally, the last series that we did and as we finish up here, I'm not going to go super deep into it because we just finished it last week. Uh, it was a series called Endbreaking. This was our Advent series. This is the series where we looked at Jesus' birth. And the overall theme of this series was that when Jesus came, his kingdom began to break through. Everything changed. We have access to his peace, his hope, his joy, his love, his light. I was asking my daughter, Olive, a couple days ago. I said, hey, baby, daddy's preaching this weekend. What should I talk about? She said, Jesus. I was like, that's a good idea. I said, what should I say about Jesus? And she said that he loves everybody. I said, he loves everybody? Who does he love? And she said, Jesus even loves bad guys. That's the truth. I love the story of Jesus. I love that Jesus loves the bad guys. 
I love that the story of Jesus is that he, he looked down at this world, the world that he created and he loved and that he wanted to have relationship with, and he saw people who had turned their back on him, that had rebelled against him. And Jesus, instead of being angry, instead of being full of rage and wanting to say, I'm going to wipe you know, the earth clean of them, he, he was full of love. Full of love for the bad guys. And said, I'm going I'm to fix this. I'm going to do something about this. And so he came to earth to, 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 to be born in a manger and to, to live a life that we could never live full of, full of hardship. It says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that there, was, there were hardships that he went through and, and sorrow that he went through, but he lived the perfect life, sinless, as an example for us, and then died the death that we deserved. The Bible tells us that the, the, the wages, the, the, the penalty for sin is death and that we have all sinned. And Jesus, full of love for the bad guy, looked down and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that penalty. I'll take that penalty. I'll take the penalty of your sin and your rebellion. And I guess the question is, is have you accepted that? Jesus is so kind that he gives us a choice. He says, you can accept my love or you don't have to. It's up to you. You're free. And if you have accepted it, how has it changed you? Because God didn't just save you from something. He didn't just save you from your sin. He saved you for something. He saved you for a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. He's calling you to join him in this great adventure of reconciling the, the world back to him and loving the bad guys. The world that's turned its back on him, we are joining him in loving the world and fighting that it would meet Jesus again. So when we look back on this year, have you partnered with him in that? How has God changed you? How has God challenged you? Where have you grown? We want to be people that hear messages like this and we don't just say, that's good. That's good stuff. And then continue to live our life the way we've always lived it, but that we would say, that's good and I, I, I want to be changed. I want to be more like Jesus. We do what it says. James chapter one, I'll read it again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Make exchanges with Jesus. We put Jesus on his throne. We allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. We allow ourselves to be transformed by the gospel and we don't try to earn his favor. We recognize our influence and we make the most of it. We actively try to become more a part of the people of God, the family. And we partner with Jesus in his mission to save the world. So maybe it was one of these messages that God really challenged you in. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was in your small group. Maybe it was in a book you read. Maybe it was in quiet time. But I just want to encourage you that when you feel like God is speaking to you, 
when you feel like God is challenging you, when you feel like there's something being stirred up in your heart, don't just store it up here. Just don't be people who collect information. We want to be people who obey what Jesus says. So let me ask you this. When you look back at this year, have you grown? And when you look forward to 2018, do you want to be a person who's growing, being a disciple, being more like Jesus? Or do we want to stay where we are? Why don't we stand? Here's how I want to end. I'm going to, just, I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer of consecration where we will collectively as a church say, yes, Jesus, this is who we are. And we would, we would be people who would be moving forward towards Jesus. So why don't, you, why don't you say this prayer with me? Jesus, uh, my answer to the question right now is yes. My answer to your calling is yes. Lord, I don't want to be a person who, who just learns about you or talks about you. I want to be a disciple. I don't want to be a churchgoer. I want to be a disciple. Help me to be more like you. Help me join into your mission of reconciling the world to you. You are so good. And I want the world to know that. So Lord, we give you our lives. We give you this church. And we say you are on the throne. So Lord, we just pray a blessing over this church, over these people, and this, this upcoming year. Just have your way. In your name.